Welcome to our Holden Village podcast. For over 50 years now, Holden Village has traveled a rich history of faith that has transformed a copper mining town into a vibrant place of education, programming, and worship. Holden has sought to welcome all who seek contemplation and community in the remote wilderness of the beautiful Cascade Mountains. We continue to invite people of all ages to come alongside our rhythms, which inspire and equip travelers for a sustainable life of faith outside the village. And we continue to listen and reflect on our story and history and seek to discover our place in God's creative mission in our world. Our podcasts are a way of sharing our conversations with our teaching faculty around reformation, the reforming of our relationships with the earth, with each other, and with the divine. Let's tune in and join the conversation. Uh, this is Doug Thorpe. I have been at Holden uh, the summer of 2018, presenting a class on uh, the idea of the promised land, a revisioning exercise. And I call it that. This is in part based on my own experience uh, being over in what we call the Holy Land, Israel-Palestine. I am a professor of English at Seattle Pacific University and uh, have been to Holden many times going back to 1994 and have also been over to uh, Palestine three times. We'll be going back within less than a week for a fourth visit, uh, co-leading a group. I am the co-chair of an organization called Friends of Sabeel North America, which is really a Palestinian liberation theology organization, a nonprofit that does work on really Palestinian and Israeli justice. So I have a pretty strong stake in what's going on in Israel and have been fascinated with Jerusalem as an actual place, a historical place, but also the idea of Jerusalem. And having been over there three times now, I have something of a feel for it and am struck by the idea of Jerusalem and Israel-Palestine as a promised land, as offering some kind of vision of hope, but also recognizing that there is a, call it a counter-narrative, or call it a shadow side of that idea of the promised land. And as an American citizen, I'm well aware that um, I also live in a place that has long thought of itself as an inheritor of that idea of promised land, Israel-Palestine, obviously going back to the pilgrims. And that there is something powerful and beautiful about the way we have inherited that idea, the way we try to live into that idea. But once again, there is a shadow side to it. And that shadow side has been there pretty much from the beginning. So the way I have mapped out uh, this course is looking at three seminal figures in biblical history that in some ways embody this question and this notion of promised land. One of them is Abraham, one of them is Moses, one of them is Jesus. Each of them are on a kind of journey, and that journey is in some literal and or figurative way to a promised land. Each of them uh, experience some kind of transformation. In Jesus' case, you can call it the transfiguration on a mountaintop. And with each of those figures, the history that follows them Again, there is a light side to it and a shadow side. So take Abraham, for example. Genesis 18, verse 19. I have chosen him, the Lord says, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham 
what he has promised him. I love the way the sentence is structured in English, where you set it up with God being the subject, have chosen being the verb, Abraham being the direct object. Abraham is the recipient of God's action. Then in the second part of the sentence, it's I have chosen him that he may charge his children. So now it's Abraham as subject and the children are the recipient of that action. He may charge his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. That's the central call that Abraham hears. For with all the journey, there's a literal journey, but there's also a spiritual journey into this call to follow this way of righteousness and justice. And then the ending of the sentence, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham. The Lord is the subject, Abraham is the recipient of that action. So that sentence alone in some way sums up this story of Abraham. Now the question is, what happens to that story? Abraham ends up in Hebron. He purchases a small piece of land as a burial site for himself or his wife, Sarah. And that place in turn um, becomes a holy site for Jews, for Christians, for Muslims. There is a temple built there. The temple then is all converted to a mosque. And these days, it is the site of the most fanatical settlers in Israel. A good example of that is the rabbi Meir Kahane, who is actually from Brooklyn. He's an American, founder of the Jewish Defense League in New York, moved to Israel in 1971, and his followers are central to the settlements in Hebron. Among the aims of his political party, was making sexual relations between Jew and Arab a capital crime. The party's eventual goal was the expulsion of all Arabs from Israel and the occupied territory. So again, we see that there is this hope, there's this promise, this idea, the call being righteousness and justice, but then a shadow side comes into it. Second figure would be Moses. Moses, of course, also on a journey, and it's a journey of liberation from Egypt into the Promised Land really the central narrative for Jews. And again, what happens with the Moses story? Eventually it leads to David and Solomon, which on the one hand are celebrated figures in Judaic history and in Christian history. But there's also a sense in which David and Solomon become kings and establish a kind of empire. There's a, a wonderful book by a theologian named uh, Dr. Anton Wessels, and he concludes, Solomon's politics introduce a fundamental social change into the promised land. The rural population was bled dry to finance a military budget. Solomon's choice for the most modern military equipment of his time turned him into a despot. The great prince of peace, Solomon, had turned into a pharaoh. And again, we see this process. We see it playing out. For a lot of people, they see it playing out in contemporary Israel. The uh, editor of Tikkun magazine, a progressive Jewish uh, magazine published in the United States, the editor Michael Lerner, posted in March 2015, What makes this year's Passover seders unlike any others, he wrote, is that a majority of American Jews have been forced to face the fact that Palestinians today are asking Jews what Moses asked Pharaoh, let my people go. Increasingly, young Jews are on the Moses side and see Prime Minister Netanyahu as the contemporary Pharaoh. 
Well, of course, the Moses story, of course, is central to American history as well. John Cotton preached of the land of promise to John Winthrop's Puritan voyagers aboard the Arabella setting sail in 1630, drawing his text from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. Moreover, quote, I will appoint a place where my people Israel will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Cotton Mather likened John Winthrop, who carried a colony of chosen people into an American wilderness to Moses, but already in American history. By 1504, the time of Columbus's last voyage, slavery has begun in the States. And so for the African-Americans, then the African-Americans, of course, take up that theme of the Exodus story, and it becomes a central narrative for them, trying to flee from the slavery that has become their experience in America, which is supposed to be the promised land. One example, the main transportation routes out of the Delta, the Mississippi Delta, led straight to Chicago, the home of the Chicago Defender, the country's leading black newspaper. Its publisher launched what he called the Great Northern Drive on May 15, 1917. He invented slogans like the flight out of Egypt, promoted songs bound for the promised land, going into Canaan. In some cases, after the train crossed the Ohio River, the migrants signaled the event by kissing the ground and holding prayer services. So again and again, we see this movement, this desire for liberation, and then some kind of response to it. Well, when we get to Jesus, and just to sum it up briefly, it's striking that you have Moses coming to Mount Horeb and hearing the voice of God. You have Moses outside of the promised land, looking down from a mountaintop, not being able to enter the promised land. And Jesus we have um, the story of the transfiguration taking place on a mountaintop. And with Jesus, it's a call. What we hear is, is the call of God saying, this is my beloved son. So Jesus is not, not necessarily on a journey to somewhere else. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the arrival as well as a way to it. He is an embodiment of that righteousness. So he fulfills that promise in a certain way. He is that promised land. And he transcends the idea, the importance of the temple and even of Jerusalem as a place. It is not about place, but about a way of being that he embodies. Yeah, so fear and fear not. Well, it's, it's in certain ways central to all three of those stories. Um, I mean, all we have to do is try to imagine uh, Abram uh, at the time before uh, he is handed, a, you know, the name Abraham, um, being in, uh, you know, Ur, which is, you know, really the the cradle of civilization where the Euphrates and the Tigris are, and being called out from that place. Um, and whether we understand that as a historical story or as a as a, a fictional story, it, it's easy to imagine um, uh, the challenge of that call. And even if, if we're seeing it as a, uh, a metaphorical journey, we all have some experience of hearing a call, being called to something, a vocation, a relationship, and needing to step out and step forth and feeling that fear. And yet, at the same time, hearing a voice that 
somehow allows us to transcend that fear and to fear not um, and to step into it. And the same thing with Moses. I mean, Moses' response to uh, Yahweh at the burning bush is, you know, who am I? Who am I to receive this call? And the answer simply, you know, is, you know, Yahweh responding to Moses by saying, I am who I am. And in a way, it's Moses saying, I fear. And Yahweh saying, the one speaking to you is ultimate reality. And if you can stand within that, then the fear will be transcended. And we see that in Jesus as well, whether it's Gethsemane, I mean, particularly Gethsemane, take this cross from me. But the continual movement towards Jerusalem and towards what he's called to do and to be. So that's a rough outline of uh, the journey that we've been taking on this, in this class. Thanks for joining us for another Holden Village podcast. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.